was horrible. I mean, it was a complete meat market. And let me tell you, the meat on offer was not sirloin steak. It wasn't even stewing steak. <laughs> Still, it was better than that time that I got an edible thong. <laughs> Isn't that what you meant to buy someone for Valentine? Oh, he didn't buy it. <laughs> he made it himself. Bit of old string and some wine gums. Only I got very, very hot and it started to congeal. I like to think I smelled like a vineyard on a summer's day. And what did you smell like? Stale wine and Kirk's sweaty socks after he spent all day being a mascot. <laughs> Talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 194 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street Catch-Up podcast where one of us warned on Twitter last night that we'll be doing an awful lot of swearing this week, so maybe you'd like to start off with shitbag. I'm Gavin. And I'm going to swear a lot today. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. So much. Less is more. He. No. Well, also more is more. More but, is more. But less sometimes is more. Chrissy retweeted it with Yas Queen. I saw the Yas Queen. Mm-hmm. All right, so she knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, we'll get there, I guess. We will get there. How are you this week? Uh, besides deeply disappointed in Coronation Street, I'm fine. Deeply? <laughs> deeply. See, <laughs> this is normally where we talk about other things, but you seem to be laughing quite a bit at it last night when you were getting all caught up. Yeah, that's that's before I hit the last 10 minutes. <laughs> all right, okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm very excited, though, because today I get to sit in a movie theater for three hours to watch a Japanese film. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited to go see Drive My Car Finally. It's finally out in our area. I just don't think my buttocks can take it. (laughs) So I will be... So instead you're going to go see a werewolf movie. Yeah, or something. (laughs) There's quite a lot that starts at the same time or overlaps because your movie is three hours long. (laughs) Yeah, I was talking to Steli yesterday and I was like, okay, well... Tomorrow, Mama is going to a three-hour Japanese movie. Mr. Gav is going to a movie about werewolves. Are you interested in either of those things? And she very honestly said no. But that's all right, because she and I watched Marry Me on on Peacock. Oh, that's on TV? That's just out in the... Yeah, it's on, in, in theaters the and on, on Peacock. So we watched that on Monday. Oh, God, because no, it's got Tuesday, Owen Wilson in it, isn't it? Because it's she got Owen Wilson in it. He stupid, crooked nose. Although even, even she admitted that Owen Wilson very much looked wow. like... Ellen DeGeneres in this movie. Um, and then uh, Monday, we might go see uh, see Dog with Channing Tatum. Oh, yeah. So that was out. Which she which just... made she, me think this is an animal movie that we have to go see, <laughs> along with Pig. And Lamb. Lamb. We didn't see Antlers. And Wolf. And Wolf, yes. And then we saw First Cow. Remember First Cow? You hated he First Cow. Up. What a there is a, that was. There's a documentary called Cow that came out last year that we haven't seen. So we'll have to seek, seek that out. Mm-hmm. But Steli called Dog a movie made for moms. Yeah. Because Channing Tatum. Do you always want to say Tatum Channing? No. I do. <laughs> I, can never, I can never work out if that's his name or not. Because <laughs> they both sound... Plausible. Fairly equal in my mind, yeah. yeah. Just, so he's a dog in this movie then? 
No, no, he's oh, it's a, yeah. he's got to take a dog right. from one place in the country to another place in the country for the funeral of the soldier whose dog it was. I'm going to guess that he doesn't like the dog to start with, and then by the end he's going to love the dog. I think it's the dog who doesn't like him to start with, and is a troubled oh, dog. Interesting twist. Has has problems and and everything Shits relating the carpet, to people. That sort of Barks, bites, knocks water bottles out of his hand. Wow. But he is shirtless a couple of times and sweaty. So that's why <laughs> Stelly said it's a movie made for moms. Yeah. So I guess Owen Wilson wasn't sweaty and Marry Me then. He was. Wow. He was, he was not. He was sweaty in the other movie he made with uh, J-Lo. You know what that is? Oh, I should ask if Jennifer Lopez was sweaty in the interests of the quality. <laughs> she was sweatier because she was dancing a lot more than right. Owen Wilson was. Wow. As, as, yes. They were both much more sweaty, though, in... Anaconda. I'm You're, guessing. Oh, that ice cube in that? But I, maybe. I'll have to check that now. <laughs> probably. probably. It was a, it was around the era where Ice Cube was making a lot of movies like this. Oh, that was a that was a light sniff. Mm-hmm. Ice Cube was indeed an anaconda. Mm. Along with John Voight, who we don't speak about anymore. No. It's interesting when John Voight occasionally pops up. We just don't talk about him. Right. Like we are now? <laughs> like we are now. Big massive snake. That's all you need to know about Anaconda. Big massive snake that can swim. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that <laughs> reptilian coding news. <laughs> I'll do. Times have certainly changed on the show. Well, now, Corey lets the rainbow flag fly with LGBTQ characters and openly queer actors. That wasn't always the case. This is news? Yes. Okay. Amanda Berry said in an interview recently... There's the news part. Mm-hmm. ...on Loose Women that while she was playing Alma Baldwin, she had to keep her sexuality a secret for fear of getting sacked. So... Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. So, yeah, see? News. But... <laughs> How times have changed. But should I have any idea? I don't know. I don't know if it's, oh, it's important to her, right? Yeah. Said, uh, like, only two people on the shoe. Shoe? On the show. Shoe. Left shoe, <laughs> the right shoe. Big shoe. All of a sudden, I'm, um, wow. all of a sudden I'm um, Ed, um, Ed Sullivan. Uh, I thought you were going to say Ed Bundy. <laughs> I don't think Ed Bundy ever said, we have a really big shoe coming on. It was a shoe salesman, though. He was a shoe salesman. That's true. As opposed to Ted Bunny. Yeah, he did different things. He did different things. But anyway. So Alma. yeah, it's uh yeah, it's uh it was it was a it was a nice interview. It was kind of heartbreaking in a way to, to think about the fact. But I mean, Daniel Brocklebank has talked in, in the past about the fact that his his agents and stuff didn't want him to come out because they were concerned that it was going to affect his Hollywood career. Right. And then he came out and it did affect his Hollywood career. Right. So, yeah, shocking in this day and age. Absolutely. And it's and I think as you're implying, it wasn't that long ago. No, no, because she was first on the show in the eighties, but then later on, it was the early aughts. Yeah, she's just now we've just crossed over into two thousand and classic Corey. Right. And she's very much a a, a firm character in her um, divorce from Mike Baldwin, so she's kind of center, you right? Know, in, her, in her own storyline and, and stuff, so. Yeah, that's. I'm always re- 
remarkably surprised when things from 2000 are shown on TV because it looks like it's much, much later than that. It looks like it's the 80s or the... Yeah. Maybe not even the 90s, but when you see 2000 stuff, it feels old. Right. And it's because it's like quarter of a century ago, pretty much. Right. right? Yeah. Like I was watching Anchorman the other day Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's still funny, but there are moments... Like with, with Brick, especially, yep. you know, using the R word, saying the doctor said that he was the R word, right. you know, and everything. That that storyline, especially, I mean, the gendered stuff was the joke even then. So that you can watch without really cringing too much mm-hmm. because because that's the joke, that men in the 70s were pigs. Yeah. But, you know. It's the dog speaking to the bear that's the best bit about it. Well, yes. Absolutely, the dog speaking to the bear. Fairly well, Baxter. Is the best part. But anyway, we have other stuff to talk about. Sure. Last week, we announced that Alexandra Mardell was leaving the show. This week, we're pleased to announce that she might be helping a friend out with an acting school, but she's also still taking auditions and will still be acting. There, There have been mixed reports on this bit of news, and this is this will... She's still leaving the show. Huh? She's still out of the show. Right. Yeah. But, you know, earlier in the week when I was first, like, jotting things down, it was said that she was leaving acting altogether to go and assist a friend at this acting school. She was going to be a teacher of acting as opposed to an actor herself. But later on in the week, a lot of those articles disappeared or were modified to say that, well, she is supporting her friend's acting school. She is still an actor and still will be taking auditions and will still be looking for other work that she's not giving up acting altogether okay this seems like a fairly straightforward message that is somehow getting confused (laughs) yes okay yes yes like lots of news out there (laughs) in this day and age it's not just corey news that's affected by this No, no absolutely not absolutely not but whatever she's doing we wish her well absolutely and and every success and finally Our condolences to the family of Jennifer Marion Tomlinson of Prince Edward Island, Canada, who, according to her obituary, never missed an episode of Corey and made a mean Yorkshire pudding and overall seems to have been a lovely person. She had this fantastic obituary, which included Coronation Street. I was just like, it sounds like the type of person that I would like to hang out with. She also gardened a lot. She had like a million grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So... Condolences to her family. Prince Edward Island. Prince Edward Island. So yes. that's us lost a Canadian listener then. Yes. Every every American girl my age has romantic ideas about Prince Edward Island. Really? Yeah. Anna Green Gables. Oh, yeah. 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 And that's Corey News. Sure. Our mailbag. A bit of mail this week. Oh, delightful. Friend, Is it delightful? Yeah, sure. Our okay. friend John wrote in to say... How could you forget Tyler, Irish yeah. Tina's son? I knew there was a Y in there somewhere. <laughs> I think we're sticking with Dobby though, aren't we? <laughs> By the way, Roy's trainers are from 1992 when he was inspired to buy them after Linford Christie won the 100 metres at the Barcelona Olympics. Uh, John Locke was my favourite character in Lost and yes, he went back to outside world as Jeremy Bentham. I knew it personally. I thought of Jeremy from Yellow Submarine, the comedy character who also talked in rhyme. Not sure if you know, but Lydia and Jacob are sister and brother in real life. Yes, we do. How ironic would it be if they were in cahoots out for revenge against the Barlows and the Platts? They have the same nose. They do. 
Then Chloe from Nova Scotia, not Prince Edward Island, nah. said, I'm crying at good guy or wank. It deserves to be a regular feature with its own team tune. That's a work in progress. Yes. And then Rewinder101 said, I enjoyed the good guy wank game, but I enjoyed it more when Chewing the Fat did it 20 years ago. <laughs> Ouch. Hey, I didn't say it was original. No. And now, we'll podcast for coffee. Thank you to Connecticut Trisha. What? We have somebody from Connecticut? Yep. Aw. Her name's Trisha. And she bought us coffees this week. Thank you, Trisha. Thank you, Trisha. Enjoy we'll your coffee. We'll have to go to Dunkin' Donuts just, just because. Oh, but which one? <laughs> the one in that BP garage or the one across the street in that other BP garage? Yeah, unfortunately, that doesn't happen here in Michigan. We have to drive 20 miles to the nearest Dunkin' Donuts here. Yeah. I know all of our New England fans are, are just having many heart attacks just thinking about having to drive 20 miles to a Dunkin' Donuts. There are certain Dunkin' Donuts that have smaller Dunkin' Donuts inside <laughs> them in Connecticut. Enjoy your coffees, guys, and thanks, as always, for your hilarious and fun deconstructions every week. You're more than welcome, Trisha, and thank you for buying us our coffees this yes. week. I'm drinking mine out of my standard Talk of the Street mug. Yes, and I'm drinking mine out of my standard... My, Floral? My, my dad's my dad's ex-fiance, Pam's collection yeah, was it just, pam yeah it was pam see you you went from not knowing to being sure and then back to not knowing again right because it's funnier that way right if you want to buy us next week's coffee you can go to ko-fi.com that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street if you think this is worth a couple of bucks personally yeah <gasps> that's your decision to make obviously you think this is worth a couple of bucks or else you wouldn't be doing it I'm in it just for the love of Corey. <laughs> and then YouTubes. Still in the face. Our section <laughs> where we look at what's new on our YouTube channel. I don't have to like everything. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> last week we've posted last week's podcast, obviously. There are three clips of the episode as usual. And this week's uh, highlighted video is... Another in the Cory Life Story series. This time we take a stroll through the life and times of everyone's favourite chin, Rick. If any of that tickles your fancy, you can head over to youtube.com slash the Tucker Street Podcast, smash that subscribe button and take that notification bell out for a romantic meal. Which reminds me, we didn't talk about Valentine's Day. <laughs> we went out for a romantic meal on Valentine's Day. We did. I started with escargot and ended with creme brulee, so it was very fancy. There you go. There we go. Now we've talked about that. And but I bought you a drum machine. Yes, you did. Yes, I did. It was very romantic. <laughs> it was romantic. <laughs> and now this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about fridge acoustics. Was bad company living in somebody's freezer? That's right. This was Kev banging on the fridge door because he got locked in the fridge with Debbie. Oh, and that's Debbie right. Debbie was unsure if anyone outside could hear it because she wasn't an expert on fridge acoustics. I was Gavin and you thought I was adorable, which made me slightly suspicious. <laughs> it was all starting to get to you. All this. All this. I blamed Ozarks and then checked my invisible watch. We got into a... I haven't, I haven't even started 
watching because the, the last season, I think it's the last season. I hope it's the last season. So much blue. So much blue. Yeah, everything's got a hint everything's of blue. Everything's blue it? in that show. We got a jab slash jag debate. You never thought we'd get to the point where we had smoking the bandit references on the podcast, but we did. <laughs> that was Timbot 4000 thinking that we've got ourselves a convoy. And now we're referencing Anaconda. Amber's going to have her work cut out for her if she's going to predictably be the hero again, as Kev and Debbie are cryogenically frozen in the bistro fridge. A minor health scare that could have been treated with half a pack of Rennies forces Tyrone to change his breakfast regime and take up yoga. Todd impresses Billy with a getaway to Bletchley Park and finds a buyer to strip all the pews out of his churches. Remember? Yes, Billy I remember. wanted to sell all the pews out of his churches. Yes. Grace is beginning to wish that the baby in her belly was also her friend Lisa's, as Michael promises to be involved in his child's birth. The Undertaker is on the lookout for someone to drive a fancy car slowly and Eileen thinks she has narrowed the shortlist down to two. And thanks to Feathers, Leanne is cooking pancakes, contemplating hill-walking with Steve and reckons she's come out on top in a fight with the florist van. Gail's feet probably can't reach the pedals. Shona is bored now. Peter has a special dish for the pieces with flat edges. Peter and his jigsaws, fuck me. There's an opening at the leisure centre for swim lessons and our moment of the week was Abby proposing to Kev and a boring moment of the week was Brian moaning to Simon about recycling. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Shall we dive in, Sniffy my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this morning is Lydia's Oyster. <laughs> Those poor oysters, they gave their lives to feed and nourish people only to be chucked in the garbage. If, if you believe the hype, they're still alive. On Monday, that's even worse. Adam is wandering around the factory without a visitor pass with Sarah as they discussed his important meeting at the rape hotel and they insist to each other how they'll miss each other and they chose to be and they choose to be generally all lovey-dovey in earshot of Lydia, who is mad and a woman. Lydia showing off her fancy bra to Beth and Kirk. Ah. Sarah spots it and worries it's from Lydia's married fancy man. Lydia claims that he's blowing hot and cold at the moment and Sarah doesn't think that this is fair on Lydia or the man's wife. Yeah. Sarah calls Adam later but decides to have him on speakerphone so Lydia can overhear his room number being mentioned at the rape hotel. Adam's, well, that was convenient. Wasn't it? Yeah. Sadly, Adam's meeting has gone on longer than expected and Sarah decides to steal supplies from the knicker factory to coax an erection from Adam later. Yeesh. Adam, eh? Adam calls Sarah later. He has to cancel because his client is crying or something. The Valentine's Day rendezvous at the rape hotel is off. Big order complete. Carla leaves for a romantic spag ball with Peter. <laughs> Sarah, seen, uh, Sarah sees Lydia leave, who's all dressed up. I'm wondering how she got all dressed up. What do you mean? Well, she, she was all dressed up. Yeah? She, she probably, was at work. She probably brought the clothes with her to work so that she could go straight from work to wherever she's going. You think? Yes, think you, you've, looked. you've never done that before? Not in a soap opera, I haven't. <laughs> I used to do that sort of thing all the time. You just get changed at work? Yeah, you bring your fancy clothes for your date night with you. So what do you do with your you old change. clothes? Then? You put them in the bag that initially held your fancy clothes. And you carry it about with you when you go out? Yeah, well, it's like it's like a tote bag. It's not that unusual for a woman to be walking around with a tote bag. <clears throat> I don't think I'd put all my stuff in a tote bag. <laughs> All my grooming products. Sarah <laughs> warns Lydia 
that she's going to get hurt with this fancy man. That is a mighty big bar of soap. Right, and Lydia promises that she's going to speak to him about the future of their relationship. Sarah seems oddly invested in this. Well, Lydia's, well, she thinks Lydia's her friend, so, you know. I don't think Sarah's behaving like a friend, though. She's kind of. Well, she's kind of warning her off and saying you shouldn't do this shit, Mm. which is exactly what a friend would do. That's what I would do. That's what I have done when friends of mine have been involved with married men. Have you been so naggy sounding when you've been doing it? Yes. (laughs) Good for you. Thank you. (laughs) Back at the Rafe Hotel, Adam uses his reservation to have dinner with the crying bloke as Lydia sneaks into the dining room unseen behind a bellhop and then sits behind an enormous plant. I found that quite ridiculous. Yeah. It reminded me, I uh, I watched Confessions of a Shopaholic this this week, and, th- and there's a scene with Isla Fisher, which is quite similar, where she's hiding behind a rack of clothes trying to steal a letter back from from a mailbox because she sent the wrong letter to the wrong magazine. Right. And yeah, it didn't really work for me because it required the bellhop to just ignore what was happening. Right. Which was, if you were walking along pushing the... She's lucky. Trolley. She's lucky that it wasn't that woman who was counting how many outlets were in each room. Yes, she is. Because that, that, that woman would have thrown her ass out. That woman has been let go, I think. <laughs> it's a shame. No, you're just walking along pushing this trolley and you've got somebody that's kind of sneaking along at the side of you. Right. You'd say something. This is not a romantic comedy. This is a soap opera. <sighs> at the Rovers now, Sarah is pushed. Actually, quite convincingly, I thought. Really? Yeah. I thought she was a bit ridiculous. When she was shouting, I don't know, she, she was shouting and then she kind of whispered and I thought, yeah, I kind of believe that. Mm. I believed it more than I believed Ryan. Okay, I will give you that. Thank you. Yeah. Carlo. Yeah, this, this whole scene, this whole thing could have been very easily taken care of though, if Sarah had taken Carla's advice, which you're going to talk about right now. No, I don't think I'm going to talk about it. Yeah, why not? I don't know, yeah. Carla was disappointed in Peter Spagball, which was served with rice. Timbot4000 says who eats chili con carne without rice. Not, it's not, not chili, chili con carne, carne it's Spagball. Spagball. I know you're just happy to be part of the conversation again, Timbot, but get it right. Timbot4000 says who eats chili con carne without rice. Oh, well, be like that. <laughs> so what was Carla's advice? That she should go and surprise him. Like oh, sneak yes, into yes. his room and stuff. If she had done that, all of Lydia's plans would have fallen apart. I'm not quite sure how Lydia's plans are going to work out anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's just... So we're kind of watching this with this... Uh, we have the, the kind of preemptive knowledge of definitely what's going to happen, right? Because right. We, we've watched soap operas before and yeah. the show hasn't exactly been too careful and try to hide this they're not subtle no Lydia's trying to the the married man that Lydia's talking about is Adam right and Lydia's trying to put herself between Adam and Sarah Sarah yeah but the things that are happening outside of that to aid this contrived uh, plan of this because the plan to for Sarah to be at the hotel right seemed perfectly reasonable yeah after the meeting's done you have your right your romantic Meal and, and whatever. Right. So that gets cancelled because the guy's crying. Yeah. Over losing, in this divorce case. Right. But it also means that Sarah ignores good advice from Carla to go to the hotel mm-hmm. and 
see Adam mm-hmm. and see who he's with. Right. Because I fear that this crying guy is going to be accused of being a, a figment of Adam's imagination at some later point when right. some accusations are getting flown about. Yeah, but here's the thing. And I think it was Hilda who pointed this out on Twitter. The, the fancy meal and Adam's room and everything is being billed to his client, not to him. So none of this is going to show up on any accounts of Adam's. Oh, really? Or it shouldn't. Right. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. <laughs> the show paints itself into corners all the time like this mm-hmm. and then just chooses to ignore it. Yeah. <sighs> it's so convoluted anyway. And I mean, we haven't even really talked about the oysters yet. No. Maybe we should do that. So we have this mad woman contrives upset scene where Lydia orders oysters and champagne that she says that she's going to be taken to a room and she gives Adam's room number and then she tells her waitress friend that she's lost her watch and asks if it turns up to tell her boyfriend Adam Barlow in this room. As they have her room number, this isn't going to be a problem. So you have Lydia being especially nice to the waiter or the waitress so presumably she gets remembered. Or something. And then when the waitress walks away, she stands up and she pours the oysters into the trash and walks Walks off off slugging the the champagne. champagne. She pays for those oysters. So those would, they weren't charged to the room now that I think about it. She paid for them. She very specifically paid for them and left a big tip, which I didn't even think was a thing over there. Tipping. No, it's not expected. No. Nobody's going to chase out the... The restaurant, if you haven't paid one. Right. Yeah, none of this makes any sense. This is such a... It's just an extraordinary length to go to. Right. And and we're only at Monday. Right. She spent all this money on these oysters. And then she just throws them in the garbage. And the things that have to happen for this plan to work is that Sarah mustn't go to the hotel. Right. Because if Sarah goes to the hotel, all of this is ruined. Right. So Sarah doesn't go to the hotel, and, and, and it's not believable and, and that she doesn't. And Sarah must at some point see Adam's phone. Mm-hmm. And look at a bill, and and have some reason to... to or to is the hotel going to call Adam and say, hey, we found your girlfriend's watch, but... Which she puts in a plant, by the way. She but, takes it off and puts it in a plant. That's where watches go when they fall off your wrist. Into a plant. And also, again, all of this stuff was charged to Adam's client. So would they be calling the client about the watch? Would they even have Adam's phone? I have no idea. Well, they would have, they would have to have his details if he has a room. Yeah, I suppose. Do we know that it's the client that's paying for all this? Yeah, because Adam says to Sarah that, you know, it's a good thing the client is paying for all of this. Okay, so this is going to become important for some reason then. Uh, Wednesday At the Knicker Factory Sean is telling an unlikely story Of wearing an edible thong That was made from string And wine gums And then he goes on to paint Further pictures of it Congealing Betwixt his butt cheeks One would One would assume Either that or in the um, In the I don't know if I want I don't know if I'm prepared for Either that Or Situation here The the, What's it called? The no man's land Between the balls and the ass Or your taint Yes or your Biff and Bridge, if you prefer. <laughs> so Lydia comes in glowing from her imaginary date last night with her imaginary boyfriend and feeling sick because of the champagne and oysters that she didn't eat. 
With the backing of Beth and Sean, she goes home for a kip before she vomits all over the factory floor. And then Sarah rolls in late, claiming that she was actually at a meeting, and she definitely has sand upper foreskin when she learns that Lydia is pulling a sickie. Right. Especially with it being self-inflicted. Right. And then Adam, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory with cut price flowers for Sarah to apologise for last night. Lydia comes in and seems surprised when Sarah is cold with her. And later, Lydia catches up with Sarah in the pub. Sarah's butt is still hurt about the whole sicky thing, and she gets on a high horse about Lydia's married fella being bad news. And Lydia stands up for her imaginary boyfriend, telling Sarah that she'd do well to get her own house in order with Adam before lecturing anyone else. On Friday, in the fancy apartment, Sarah tells Adam about Lydia seeing a married man, and this has made Sarah think about their relationship. Adam hides rolling his eyes, points out the two of them have been fine recently, and to quit letting Lydia mess with her head, which is something he's been saying all along here. It is. Adam is yet again in the factory with a coffee for Sarah, who has taken their conversation to heart and agrees to put the past behind them and focus on the two of them. Adam wants to start trying for a baby again, and Sarah, she's down for that shit. Yes, she is. She's, she's got the app ready. Right. Which gets them both Boom. all hot and bothered. And the rovers, Adam and Sarah, are about to get wired into each other when Lydia comes in to tell Sarah about a guy who's turned up at the factory with insufficient fabric. So Sarah has to rush off. I'm not sure why that's important. Then Sarah well, gets- Sarah was on the phone with this guy earlier, this yeah, Larry but, guy, but, and saying, you know, you'd better have the stuff we need mm-hmm. or don't show up at all. Right. So, but what does that add to the story? It 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 gives Lydia an excuse to tell Sarah to go and go back to work as opposed to but then having happens. sex with her husband. But then she does go back. Yeah, I know. And then that happens. Yeah. So, so my question stands: What does it do? It doesn't do anything. No. Does this whole story do anything? Let's Not be an honest. awful lot. So Sarah gets back to find Adam in a dressing gown, looking sultry. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lydia is outside. As all Scottish men do. In the community garden. In dressing gowns. Yeah, he's a brave man going for white. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lydia is outside in the community garden making up a text conversation between her and her imaginary boyfriend, Adam, a.k.a. Oyster Man. Oyster Man. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I'm assuming what she hopes will happen is that Sarah is going to look at her phone and see that she's getting text messages from someone named Adam. So not Adam's phone, because none of this is ever going to show up on Adam's phone. Right, because Adam would say, what the fuck is this on my phone? <laughs> so, Or is it going to sit as a sent message on Adam's phone that he's not going to see until he No, I don't think No, I don't think that is technically possible. But, it, but she's, she's got this other phone yeah, that but, she's using, to, it, pretending it's Adam's phone, and I think it has the same number as Adam's phone. I think we're, we're expected to believe that Lydia has cloned Adam's phone. Right. But none of none of her none of these sent messages are going to show up on Adam's actual phone. And I suppose somebody could say, yeah, right, well, you deleted them. But still, again, this is so convoluted. It is and, it- and ridiculous. And especially considering the escalation from last week where there were car smashings and, and police and doxing. Mm-hmm. And and everything and breaking in and saying you're gonna die. And Lots of breaking in. All of that stuff. This seems like a step backward. Yeah, we've we've gone from the the armed police breaking into the law office, then the smash windows, and the multiple breaking into uh, to the flat, to hiding behind a um, a bellhop's trolley, and sitting on a bench sending texts oh, to yourself. So dumb. Are we supposed to think that Adam has been 
less than chivalrous during his, well, I, th- I think we know that he's been less than chivalrous, but really less than chivalrous at Edinburgh Uni for this whole revenge thing to be as consuming of Lydia's time and effort as it as it appears to be. No, I think we're we're meant to believe bitches be crazy. That that can't be it. Because it, well, I believe that Adam as a college bro was less than chivalrous throwing his seat around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could totally believe that. For but for it to have been so bad with Lydia that she would that she amongst all of his other conquests of the time would go out of her way to ruin his life. Yep. And split him up from a woman who has been nothing but supportive and helpful to her. Right. Giving her a job and Right. And listening to her all her woes right. and stuff. And are we meant to believe that Lydia and Sarah meeting was accidental? That she didn't realize that she was married to Adam, and it was only after she realized she was married to Adam that this plan popped up in her head, that that seeing him again just made her go completely nuts? Or has this been a long-standing plan of hers to work in this industry on the off chance that she might meet Sarah, which will give her the opportunity to take her revenge on Adam? Based on what we've seen, I think we might be witnessing the culmination of a 10-year plan. Oh my god! <laughs> this is this is such a long game that she's been playing. Yeah, and it just—I <laughs> mean, I guess where I'm going is, it's, I'm thinking that maybe Adam's raped her, and and this is how she is getting her right. revenge on him. And I'm and if that's the case, I'm really concerned because it makes it seem like oh, it's it's terrible if that's the case. Oh yeah. oh oh! Did he really? Or is she just making it up in her own mind that that's what happened? Mm. Or, oh, she just took it wrong, etc. <sighs> the show has just been the absolute worst to women this, this week. And this is, not, this is not the worst that will happen. Yeah, but I, it's, I thought so this was going to be the swear fest, but no. No, because it, it gets worse. There is an aspect of the story that I will talk, be talking about later when we, we talk, when we compare and contrast the police's reaction to an anonymous phone call <laughs> as opposed to the police investigating an actual crime with evidence. Right. <sighs> the ship, the, well, well, they guess- need more women. I know there are women already in the writer's room, but... Either A, they need to be listened to more, or B, they need even more women in that room because this, the show this week has just, and not really this just this week because a lot of this stuff has kind of been going on for a while. You know, we kind of applauded when they were going to do this whole upskirt thing, but that seems to not exist anymore or not be part of the you know oh we solved it by having daniel talk to boys about how bad it is and explain to them what consent is let's move on then shall we please let's see if this is a storyline that's going to infuriate helen it is a fistful of grannies (laughs) i'm a little infuriated but not by the grannies Uh, well sure on monday bernie has burnt the fish fingers 
because women can't cook. They're char <laughs> They're fancy. Rushes down to complain that the kids are all hungry for fish fingers and they don't have money to buy more fish fingers. Vernon gives Ches and Gemma a voucher for a free meal at Speed Dial, but Ches is worried how this is going to look. And that <sighs> would leave Bernie in charge of the kids, and you know what that means. Oh, God. Just kill Chesney kill now. Kill him. Kill him. Wow. Jim and Chesney have had their speed dial meal without checking if the voucher is valid, and of course it isn't. And Yasmin makes a big deal of it until she remembers the storyline where the pair of them are skint, and so she gives it to them on the house after all. Beth is in and noises them up about the stolen money. Beth is so mean. Yeah, which Ches announces has been donated to a homeless charity by Dev when no one came forward to uh, collect it, something that Yasmin overhears. And is interested in. Gemma swears at Beth in sign language, and then she and Ches leave. <laughs> Chesney once more mortified by that bloody Bernie. Right, yeah, this is all Bernie's fault for, you know, not checking the nice. voucher. And yet, they sat through that whole meal without checking the voucher. Right. You read the voucher. Yeah. Because you know there are exclusions on that voucher. Right. And that they expire eventually. Or maybe Yasmin, when she's seven, them spots the voucher on the table and says, by the way, that voucher, no valid. Right. Because it's a special meal, because it's Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. yeah. So, Gemma and Chesney get home, unimpressed to see that Bernie has been painting with the kids. Well, Chesney Gemma, complains. Gemma is impressed. Chesney complains. Even though those kids are all bathed, all fed, all watered, whatever that means. And all asleep. All the, all the juice has been squeezed out she of them. Has, she has done everything. For well, those who's kids, going but, to be the oh, one that's going to clean to up, up all this mess? Me, says Chesney. Ugh. And thanks to Bernie, they're all social pariahs now. Gemma points out that Bernie's doing her best and the kids love her because she does things like painting with them. Right, yeah. When was the last time we had, you know, we did anything like this with them, Chesney? The answer? Never. <laughs> On Wednesday, Chesney's complaining about something. Who fucking cares? Uh, also, I'm really impressed by the art skills of children who are, like, what, two? Yeah. This is what happens when you keep them in the attic and you force them to paint 24-7. It's, a, it's, a, million, it's a million monkeys and typewriters. And every once in a while you trot one of them out. Here's this one. Do you like this one? No. Oh. <clears throat> Backing away from that. He gets upset when Benny doesn't care about the things that he cares about, but she refuses to acknowledge him until he announces that he's putting the past behind them now. Everything's sorted. So Gemma suggests that they all go to do something nice and cheap, mainly cheap. So they get back from their walk to find Linda banging on their door. Let's all take a moment to remember that Linda is Izzy's mum, Joseph's granny. She's on her way home from Belize, I think. Yes. Because people go to Belize. And popped in to say hello. Linda does. They arrange to meet up later once Chesney has cleared the human excrement from the walls. <laughs> so Linda goes to the cafe while they all get their stories straight. Linda needs to find out nothing about Joseph's disappearance and subsequent money scam. And then Linda comes along and makes herself at home, keen to see how wee Joseph has been doing. Yes, says everyone. Later, after Joseph gets home, Linda offers to take everyone out for dinner at the bistro later. So at the bistro, Debbie nearly blows it with Linda, telling her that Joseph isn't out of, isn't long out of hospital. Ches and Gemma make up a story that Joseph was knocked down by an ice cream truck that also sells kebabs, because it's diversifying. Right. Joseph reluctantly goes along with this lie, but cheers up when Linda announces that this is her treat and they can order whatever the fuck they like. Aw, that was nice. Joseph's sweet face. Yeah. <gasps> we can order anything? What? Fish fingers, please. Because <laughs> that's exactly what would happen, right? Wait. 
It's like, ooh, anything? Well, then I will get the fish fingers and the macaroni and cheese. Mm-hmm. It's like when Betty was little and we would go to like Mexican restaurants and he would order a cheeseburger. I tell you, that was a good cheeseburger. They made a good cheeseburger at that Mexican restaurant. <laughs> You've got the wealth of Mexican foods, but no, it's chicken fingers or, or cheeseburgers. <laughs> I used to go shopping with my grandparents and my and my mum on a Saturday afternoon when I was like five or six or whatever. And we'd always stop by Wimpy on the way home when Wimpy was like a hamburger chain. Of course it was. Because really, really good. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Exactly. And I would only ever get allowed to get a drink. <laughs> because I'm going home to get my dinner. And then the times when I was allowed to get a, the, a cheeseburger, those were the best days ever. <laughs> Why would you even bother going to Whippies if you're just going to get a drink? The milkshakes. Oh, okay. the good milkshakes. Yeah. Shamrock shakes are out again. They are. Yes. On Friday... <laughs> In the morning, in the UK, they're doing a Big Mac, but instead of uh, beef patties, they're doing chicken. Do you know what they are doing here in America? America. It's it's a Big Mac that also has a fillet of fish on it, and also has a <laughs> chicken thing on it. So it's like a four layer sandwich. They're doing this here. Yes. Go fuck yourself, UK. <laughs> I'm gonna get that. Don't and then die. <laughs> it's like, remember when KFC had that chicken sandwich where the chicken patties the bread were chicken. the bread? Yeah. How is anyone in this country still alive? This fucking country, honest to God. On Friday in the morning, Ches and Bernie have another chance to speak with Izzy to make sure that she doesn't mention oh. about Joseph running away, etc. to Linda. Just at that, Linda turns up to take Joseph to school. And Bernie thinks that she might have a plan to give Chess some time to speak to Izzy. She asks Linda to drop by Nina's Rolls later this morning to pick up a care package that she's made for Izzy. Mm. Yes, because let's all remember, Izzy really shouldn't be having any company of, of any sort at all. Still. Because she's st- still, because COVID is still a thing. And Linda was out of the country. Yeah, she's just back from Belize. Right. And it's not quarantined. And then she's going to go and see her daughter, who is chronically ill who has been very very careful and that's why she's not in the show right now so Bernice, which one's <sighs> no fergus we've seen fergus every once in a while i haven't seen him in a while we do like the fergus so ben i don't, I don't have a countdown or a, or a count like i do for fish guy but still it's been a while it has been so Bernie's stalling Linda and Nina's rolls with talk about cakes scones and bingo and when linda turns her nose about everything bernie calls her a stuck-up old cow <gasps> excuse me says linda I called you a fucking cow, says Bernie. Linda rushes off with Izzy's goodie bag while Bernie texts Chez. And back home, Chez confirms that he's successfully nobbled Izzy. Gemma doesn't know why they're creating such a fuss. All families are, th- are like this. And Linda doesn't expect them to be perfect. And I mean, in a way... The sentiment's right. Right. And all kids run away at some point, don't they? Some more successfully than others, but everybody, it's like, right, that's it. I'm out of here. Yeah, there's a small proportion of them that died and never come back. That's true. Did you run away? Not really. I did, and like 10 minutes later, my dad showed up in his truck. See, I'm not sure that counts 10 minutes later. That's just going out. I packed. I had a knapsack with me. I was not planning on coming back. Oh, good. Did you have it tied up in a handkerchief on the end of a stick? No. 
Did you? I'm not. I'm not. I think you did. I'm not a sad hobo clown. <laughs> Says you. <laughs> oh, ouch. Linda goes into the rovers for a quantro on the rocks. Dev's ears prick up. Yes. <laughs> he works his magic talking about an old advert from the 1980s. Benny starts taking the piss out of Dev, being all creepy pasta with the new toddy. So Dev retaliates and explains to Linda how Bernie scammed Joseph's disappearance. <sighs> Bernie, for her own why couldn't you keep game. your fucking mouth shut? Exactly. When the Rovers piano player stops and everyone falls silent, Dev's worried that he's farted and not realised it. But then Jenny points out that Linda is Joseph's granny. Oh, pig's tits, says everyone. Yes, especially Dev, who realises that he's been flirting with somebody's granny. Right. Well, you that with Bernie. Yeah, I suppose. So Linda goes back to shout at Jim and Chesney for a bit, but then promises that she wouldn't think badly of them when she's here to help. Is there anything else that she should know? So Gemma tells them how her mum nicked half the reward money. Oh, I knew about that, says Linda. Yeah. And she goes to make a cuppa, and a cupboard full of shite falls on her. Privately, Chesney explains to Linda how the best part of the century has been pretty tough on him. Linda's just amazed that no one's been killed. Yet. <laughs> she offers financial help, but Ches turns it down. Because he's an asshole and stupid. <laughs> this is this is not like some random off the street offering you help. This no. is the grandmother of your son. Mm-hmm. You know, you take you take lots of money and you complain about the other grandmother not not pulling her weight. Here's a grandmother who actually has money. You know, you could do something very specific, like you know, if you could handle getting him his school clothes. That would be awesome. So that he doesn't have to go to school in a sweater with a hole in it. If he's still doing that. Please let him not be still doing that. You know, which which would be a very specific way that she could help. And it doesn't feel like charity because it's a gift. Yeah, it's not buy as a house. No one's right. saying buy as a house. No. You can let this woman help. She's family. She's being, she is very kind and patient with Chesney. In this whole thing. They try and build her up through I can't remember anything about Linda. I don't think I was watching the show at the time. But they kind of paint her as this kind of ferocious dinosaur that they have to pull the wool over her eyes because she's so judgmental and she's so horrid and she's such a cow. Yeah, she doesn't seem that way at all. She seems perfectly reasonable and pleasant and just wanting to do as she's saying, which is help. Right. Chesney doesn't want to be helped. No. Chesney wants to complain about He wants things. to be a martyr. Right. That's exactly what he wants to be. Of course, it also begs the question, if Linda has so much money, why why is Izzy constantly bugging Gary for money? Yeah, and why hasn't she shown up earlier to see her grandson who's so important to her, apparently? Yeah, both why, of why, them. Why haven't we seen her in because years? She, because she does mention that, you know, she's also here to see Izzy's son. <laughs> Whose name is Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> it's another one of the J it's names, Jake. isn't it? It's yeah, Jake. Jake. I'm kidding. It's All Jake. of these kids have J names, and it's bothering me. How's Tyler a J name? Well, Tyler's not on the show anymore. But you know, you have Jake, you have Joseph, Jimmy, <laughs> Johannes, Joby. <laughs> we don't have any Johns anymore now that Johnny's dead. I suppose there is Liam. We do have a Linda and a Lydia now. Yeah, I know. That was... Seriously. Fuck off. <laughs> at least at least no one's talking about Ted this week. Which one? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so anyway. They're all dead, so it doesn't matter. Chess turns it down. Linda wants to be there for her grandson and, to a lesser extent, Chesney. 
Linda's about to get a taxi for Portugal when Bernie comes along and having learned nothing from earlier the exchange barbs, Linda will do whatever it takes to protect Joseph, which seems perfectly reasonable. Right, yes, that but is her grandson. Bernie says that they were all happy before she punched into the show, so fuck off back to the Algarve, she says. And at home, Joseph is missing Granny Linda. She smells nice. <laughs> And there's a knock she at the doesn't door. smell of kebab. She's the only adult in his life who doesn't smell of kebab. Right. Although she's she lives in Portugal, so there's bound to be some kind of garlicky whiff about her. Because, you know. Yeah, but she hasn't been in Portugal for a while. She was in Belize. Right, and I know nothing about Belize. There's a knock at the door, and wouldn't you believe it, it's Granny Linda again. She's staying a bit longer. Joseph is ecstatic, while Bernie hides her fury. Right. And, and Linda points out that it was all because of what... Bernie, Bernie said, said earlier mm-hmm. about this is my family and I protect what's mine. Right. So good job, Bernie. Yeah. Doesn't know when to shut up. She really doesn't. Which and I'm fun. glad she doesn't because I quite like Linda. Me too. Me too. She doesn't seem like a harpy at all. No, there's a question of where she's going to stay, I guess, but she's going to sleep on the floor in the kitchen because that's about the only room that's left. Or is she going to stay with... sitting upright in the bathroom. Is she going to stay with Izzy and expose Izzy to lots and lots of, of germs and viruses? That'll be what she does. Yeah, no, that's it's a kind of it's a kind of random thing to bring back, but it it feels like it's you know as Chesney has been going on about how for the better part of his life it's been tough. He's definitely the martyr, right? Right. And we've long said that we've got this kind of poverty porn thing going on where Chesney and Gemma are. Always struggling to make ends meet, no matter how many jobs they've got, how many people they have in the house that have jobs. Right, because they all work for Dev, that's the problem. It's never enough. But along comes somebody who seems to be independently wealthy, who doesn't need Dev for a job, for example. Who is family. Who's family, and who has a a desire, for the moment anyway, to help. Right. And it feels like if Chesney could only get the fuck over himself. Right, get his head... All the way out of his asshole. There would be a way to make things better for him and his family. Yes. But he's not going to take it. No. Or he's not going to take it easy. No. No. Because that would be boring. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. You've got this, and this, I think, is part of Chesney's problem. Uh Uh-huh. Is that he's a character who's been in the show since he was 10. Right. Any long-term plans that they had for storylines for him that were interesting have long been exhausted. Right. So we're looking for things that's going to be a little bit, make life a little bit different for him. Giving him quads was not the answer to the problems of Chesney's character. Because right. it just makes him even more uh, depressed. and even right. and Even more of a dick. Right. And really takes any potential sunshine right. out of this character because now all he's doing is working and Feeding babies, except he's not really doing that. But you know what I mean. Right. His entire life is now consumed by the family stuff. So he has no scope to be an interesting character involved in interesting storylines because he's been so dull for so long. Yeah. It's just impossible to get him out of it. I did find it hilarious that once again this week he was done in by a brick. Yes. It was a Lego brick, but still. And if anybody, all... if anybody on that show you want to see step on a Lego brick, it's <laughs> but did it's, he deliberately step on it? It's Chesney. Did he have it himself? was hilarious. Gemma saying, "I left those out so I would remember to take them upstairs," uh-huh. which is totally something I would do. Uh, Only not leave them. I would 
put them in, away in the bin and then have the bin out somewhere where I'd see it and remember to bring it upstairs. But, but still, yeah, it's funny because uh, Simon Gregson recently has said that he would like for Steve to move away from the cobbles kind of for the same reason. You know, there's, there's only so much you can do with a character who's been on the show. That's exactly right. Forever. Right. You know, so there, there are only so many punchable faces. Yeah. For, for Steve to react to. So now his stories are, he, he's kind of vicariously living through other people's storylines. Right. Yeah. He's, he's no longer the Lothario. He's now the dad worried about all the other Lotharios. Well, he was, a, he was a drug runner back in the day. Right. And he was a guy who was running off to, um, on the cross-channel ferry to bring back uh, dodgy cigarettes to sell to the corner shop. And you know, he's had his hands in some very, very questionable pies over the years. Right. And yet, so, and yet when all of this stuff... We're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. And yet when all of this stuff happens, it's, oh, I'm worried because she's Tracy's daughter. Yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes. Let's move on to our next storyline, which is Tim's mum about the house. Yay! I say yay. Yeah. But this storyline is also... It's with an asterisk against it, isn't it? This storyline is also very unkind to women, as was the last one and the one before that. On Monday, Sally gets home to find (sighs) Tim and Tim's mum having an 80s movie night. Sally's got him a sex... They're watching Goonies. They're watching a variation of Goonies, which I didn't know was a thing. Sally has got a sex countdown for Valentine's Day, which Tim's mum looks on disapprovingly. Right. Tim nips off for a bath, which allows Sally and Tim's mum to have an argument. Sally expected some time together with her husband on Valentine's Day. Rightly but, so. But Tim's mum is doing her best to cock block her son and encourages Sally to suppress her urges. Oh my god. Tim is disappointed that Tim's mum was on the phone throughout Goonies Never Say Die. Goonies Never Say Die? Is that a thing? No, no. In the movie Goonies, they say never say die. Oh, That's not part of the title of the movie. They say that a couple of times. Sally comes back from the shops. Tim's mum apologises to Sally for worrying, but then announces that she's applied for a course of heart health at the university and no one gives a shit. Sally rolls her eyes. And I thought that was a bit unkind at that point. <laughs> you know, because, you know, at least she's she's bettering herself and she's she's trying to understand things a little better, which is not necessarily a bad thing. She is so fucking annoying, though. The I'm whole falling out of love with Tim's mum. The whole, the whole <laughs> couple the, of weeks ago. The whole sex stuff just really angers me because <laughs> it's like, can you imagine your mum no, coming no. up to me and saying, you know, Gav has a poor heart, so could you please not excite him sexually for a couple of weeks? I mean, I know she hand washed my underwear, but still. <laughs> I don't think we were at the level of intimacy where she would be criticizing our sex life. I think my mother, on the other hand, yeah, that's a completely would never clean your underwear, and yet would constantly put her nose in our sex life, but not like that. Right, I'm done. (laughs) Thanks for listening to another episode. (laughs) On Wednesday, Tim's mom has started a course already. She's wearing headphones, so she's shouting a lot. 
Right, because haha, old ladies don't know how to use technology, and she can't figure the Bluetooth out. And she can't take her headphones off to talk to her son, so she has to shout. Right. Ex- except when Sally comes down the stairs, and then she can hear Sally perfectly. Ha 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 ha. Sally isn't pleased about the whole of the dining table being taken up by her, but then gets a call and she heads upstairs to take it. Later, Tim's taking a nap when Tim's mum sneaks up on him to take his pulse for a stupid course thing. He's all stressed out now. Thanks, Tim's mum. And there's another scene where Tim's mum continues to be annoying about cardiology. Right, yeah, where she, she takes his pulse wrong, she counts wrong, so she thinks he's in tachycardia, which he obviously isn't because he's walking around and speaking. Tim's mum's learned an awful lot about the heart on day one of her course, doesn't she? Right, yeah. And she's like, Is it really a course or is she just reading the Wikipedia entry for heart? No, because you can see the guy in the white doctor's coat So he's reading out the, the Wikipedia entry then. Sally comes home and is unimpressed by Tim's mum's cardiology hijinks, calling her a checks notes. Fucking nightmare. Then she tells Tim that the call earlier was about solar panels. No, really. No, really. It was about solar panels. On Friday. In Manchester. Tim comes down the the staircase of discovery to discover Sally on the phone to Judy. He's overheard that Gina has been having a hard time with her bipolar recently. Tim tells Sally to go and see how she is. He has his mum and he'll be fine. But Sally will have none of it. Right. She points out to him, look, you were just complaining about your mum stressing you out. Right. Sally's making spinach broth later. Tim's mum isn't sure that Tim will like it. Not everything I do is for Tim, screams Sally. Tim's mum has heard about Gina and agrees that Sally should visit her sister. Dr. Tim's mum has everything under control here. Later, Sally suggests taking part in an online quiz with Gina and Judy, but Tim's mum and Tim have plans for a game called Wingspan, and they tell Sally to go and play with the girls in the factory, and Sally looks like she's like left out because of Tim's fucking mum. Right, because because Tim wants to take bird watching up again. Right, and he's kind of done with the whole pub quiz thing. That's all they ever did in lockdown. So he's he's beyond well, not, that now. It, online quiz, not pub quiz. Well, but that's what the, that's what it is, though. It's a pub quiz, but yeah. they're just doing it online. Right. Yeah, I think people know. Yeah. But well, I mean, it's- so Sally is in the factory <laughs> trying to set up a video call with Gina to do the quiz. She explains how pissed off she is with Tim's mum right now, but everything she explains seems to be met with approval by the other knicker people. And meanwhile, back home, Tim's mum wants to take Tim's Because she vitals. doesn't explain it very well. She doesn't. If she had started with the whole sex stuff, then Beth especially would be on her side. <laughs> she thought all of this would help Sally to go see her sister without worrying, but nothing stops Sally from worrying, says Tim. And that's as far as we get with that this week. When it's really Tim's mum who's doing the most worrying and, and is the most irritating about it and is just completely... Not the Tim's mum we started out with. No. They have made her an annoying comedy character who talks about her son's sex life. They've... Because I guess that's hilarious. They started making her annoying fairly soon after they made her the hero. Because when, remember when she moved in with Yasmin, she was annoying then. She annoyed Yasmin and she annoyed Kathy. No, no, no. Kathy annoyed Yasmin and Tim's mum. Well, I think Tim's mum annoyed everybody. Because, oh, no, because remember have... it was Kathy with all the boxes and stuff, and oh, yeah, who that was, moved she was in hoarding again, yeah, but and moved in, you know, and and didn't want to leave and everything. And Tim's mum was kind of like, you know, we have we have our own problems here that we're still trying to work out. I remember being annoying. She annoyed me. Let's let's put it that way. Fine. And she was great, and now, now she's just she's basically filling Gina's roles and. Uh, Except for the one where she tries to steal Tim from Well, sure Although I guess in a way she is trying to steal Tim from Sally Yes, she is 
Oh, is she? Does she not realize what she's doing? I don't think she realizes what she's doing. Because she's a bad old lady who I think, can't figure out Bluetooth. I think that's what's going on Tim's mom's gravestone. She didn't know what she was doing. <laughs> I mean, I can I can understand where Tim's mom is coming from to a point. Because she had all of those years where she couldn't take care of her son, where she wanted to take care of her son, and she's trying to make up for lost time. But in the process, like sneaking up on him to try to take his pulse, that was, I mean, why would you, why would you do that? Why creepy, would, creepy AF. Why, why wouldn't you wait until he woke up and stuff and, you know, ask him if it's okay if you do these things. Don't just try to do it without his consent. Not that the show knows anything about the word consent, but, but Daniel I digress. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel ran a course on it. <sighs> anyway. Our next story on this morning, Toya's proposal. The one ray of sunshine in a horrible, horrible week. But they even cannot steal the sunshine from this a little bit. On Friday, Toya has had a call from social worker Lou about Elsie's future. Assuming that this means the end of their fostering, Imran and Toya will be sad to say cheerio to the wee monster. Oh. So Lou shows up and rather than taking her back, she asks how they would feel about adopting Elsie. She leaves them to chat about it and then goes to see the wee kid. And Imran wants to do what's best, but he's let them both down, he recognises, and is worried that Toya will chuck him out. It's crossed my mind, says Toya. Yep. <laughs> and see, this is really nice. They're being honest with one another. Mm-hmm. But after being, after being very dishonest with each other. Right, yeah. And in his roles, Toya grabs a word with Abby, of all people, who does everything bar throw coffee in Toya's face and run away. Toya asks about Abby's experiences with adoption and so she opens up about the trouble that <clears throat> Toya asks about Abby's experiences with adoption and opens up about the troubles that she and Imran have been having because Imran cheated on her. Abby yeah. assures her that Imran clearly loves her. Whatever happened, they got by it, says Abby and she quickly runs away. All that matters is family, she shouts at the door as it hits her on the arse on her way out. Right. Well, and let's remember, I mean, the reason why Toya asks Abby, of all people, is because Abby is in the process of, ad- of adopting... Yeah, nothing I covered up. Kev's kid, whose name also starts with a J. His name was Jack. Right. So we have Jacob... Jack. We have Jacob, Jake, Jack, and Joseph. And Joby. <laughs> Brother of Dobby. Toya comes back and tells Imran that if they... Uh, go ahead with the adoption which they all want to do she has three conditions Imran immediately agrees right let me go through them says Toya (laughs) one is that the past is never mentioned can do says Imran yes two no more secrets if you have anything to say say it Imran nods and says nothing right three we need to get married yes are you proposing to me, says Imran. You bet your sweet cheeks, says Toya. <laughs> and they smooch and hug. But Imran does a two-second smile fade. And so does Toya a wee bit. But they do. But Imran does accept her proposal. Yes. Yes. Which is nice. Which is delightful. And it's, it's so... just the final frames of the final scene is a little bit... Oh, it's, no, it's, don't. Let me have this. Let, right. let, me be, let me be pleased and about it's, this. It's so perfect. And it's so in keeping with her character that Toya would be the one doing the proposing. Right. I really like that. I really like that they know this character and they're sticking to it. Right. (laughs) You know, even her, you know, because she doesn't know that Abby slept with Imran. So even her, like, asking Abby 
for advice as far as adoption is concerned makes sense. Yeah, but everything else is just all, of course, it has to be Abby because then Abby has to be weird. Abby's the only one who has any experience with adoption on the street because Rita fostered kids, but she never adopted any of them. So you're really just rejecting the fact that this is just a, a kind of awkward conversation to make Abby awkward because she's the one that slept with Imran. Well, of course, there is that aspect. Because that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. Right. Th- there is that aspect. But also, there's nobody else that Toya could get advice. As- well, I guess she could ask her sister who did adopt Simon. I've kind of painted myself into a quarter there, haven't I? Yeah. How are you going to get out? <laughs> but that was years With ago. With grandmother? And, and things, things have changed as far as adoption laws. But then she never gets really any advice about it. Yeah, it's going fine. I have question marks over whether why is the social worker bringing this up? Why don't they just continue the fostering? Because this is probably because the because Elsie's biological parents have evidently given up parental rights, so that's why they're offering adoption here. Because it's either that or Elsie stays in the foster care system for the rest of her life, and nobody wants that. Not these days. Nobody wants to be bouncing from house to house to house. And they know that Imran and Toya are decent people. They're not selling Elsie into slavery or worse. Right. Which does happen in the foster care system an awful lot. So, you know. I'm just deciding to accept this as being the ray of sunshine that it was in an otherwise fairly bleak week and ignore the last dozen frames of the last scene of the storyline. Yes. Imran and Toya are getting married. It'll all end in tears. I'm sure it will. But I'm going to ignore that for now. Do you now. think Imran and Toya will get married before Gemma and Chesney, who've been engaged for like four years now? I, honestly, I don't see either of them ever getting married. That's what Linda could do. Linda could pay for the wedding of Chesney and Gemma, not Imran and Toya. Yeah, I'm, sure be, Imran and Toya weird. I'm sure Imran and Toya have it handled right. as grown-up adult professionals with only one child. All right, let's move on to our last storyline then. Uh, Uh, Fuck off. (laughs) Fuck all the way off, you horde of cunts. Oh. Fucking, I fucking hate this storyline. It can die. The thing is, we started this storyline rather enjoying it. I liked it because it did have its uh, its genesis and something that I thought was, was good was the bringing some attention to this upskirting thing we had uh, Amy being super duper right and the young crew all being pretty super duper as well there were were many things that we enjoyed and dished out moments of the week to that are kind of related with this storyline it honestly was probably one of the one the few storylines that I was kind of enjoying. Right. And then they forgot. This week. And then they forgot all about the upskirting. They let Daniel teach the consent classes. And then this week happened. Yeah. I've called it. Fuck Jac- all the way off. I've called it Jacob's Potter. Yes. Jacob of the Jacob, Jake, Joseph, and Jack crew. <laughs> Formerly the- also the Jacob, Jake, Joseph, Johnny. Does, Jack see, now you're crew. just saying words that begin with J. <laughs> Again. On Monday, Jacob appears with flowers for Amy and an invite to a banging club later. Summer and Asha aren't impressed, reminding Amy of the school dance that no one has ever mentioned before. And Amy talks him into going to the club after the dance. And Asha is really snotty about the fact that Amy's mum 
runs a flower. You know, her mom runs a flower shop, don't you? Mm -hmm. So flowers, obviously. So because her mom runs a flower shop, she should not care about flowers. Right. Or flowers aren't a big deal to her. If her mother was Smirnoff, would you not drink <laughs> vodka? If anything, it should make her appreciate it more because she knows the value of flowers. Max is at number eight, excited for a package that's just arrived from something that he claims to be a camera battery and keen to get ready for this dance thing. David insists there should be no weird incidents and Max insists that he saves them for Christmas. Right, yeah, and... <laughs> Evidently, this package came in. They checked it on the table without looking at like the return address or anything about the package. Does this child receive packages at home an awful lot? Mm -hmm. And number one, Amy and Ash are getting wired into the vodka. Steve arrives angry that they're drinking and angry that they're drinking for the benefit of this mystery boyfriend that he's still got his knickers on not about. Ugh. Because Steve still hasn't worked out who it is yet. No. Daisy and Daniel and Nina's roles. He's not looking forward to being the supervisor for the school dance. Why is he the supervisor right. for it? Why, Why is he always the supervisor for these things? Because he was the supervisor for the winter dance And he was the guy too. that took the consent workshop. Why is Daniel always the one Why that gets roped into these extracurricular activities? Do, do they not remember what happened the last time Daniel supervised a dance? He got punched in the face. Right, and accused of inappropriate behaviour with a student. Keep him away from students. Daniel thinks that they're both losers in love, ignoring the fact that they were going out maybe two hours ago. She invites him round after his lame dance. Maybe, he says. What a prick. At the school <laughs> dance, Amy is pished and bows for Mrs. Crawshaw. Summer is worried that Amy being pished and bowing for Mrs. Crawshaw will affect her university chances. <laughs> I shall let slip to Addy that Amy's boyfriend is drug dealer Jacob. He's disappointed, but Amy could not give a fuck. Max, who's filming the a school dance... A little too disappointed yeah. is our Addy. Max is filming the school dance. He spots Amy adding vodka to their drinks. Then Daniel comes along, clocks that Amy's drunk and throws them all out. Amy downs her drink in one and they all leave. Right. Yeah. And so she's uneasy on her feet as they arrive at the club, which seems to be called Nightclub. <laughs> yeah, she's already... <clears throat> the fact that nobody thinks... Well, there's something weird about this because Asha has drunk as much as Amy has and is not acting like this. Mm. Already we're wondering if someone has spiked a drink back at the school and wonder if it's too obvious that the person who did it was Max. <laughs> at number one, Peter and Steve have their feet up on the table in their socks. They seem to be enjoying a Valentine's Day marathon of old banger glamour, whatever that is. Steve is worried about Amy. It seems to involve cars. Let's hope so because... <laughs> This might be some specific <laughs> granny porn that they're watching. Oh no, that's Liz! <laughs> so Peter suggests a jigsaw. And Steve says he would love to do a jigsaw. Later at the club, Amy is looking really gashed, but Jacob recognises the signs and shouts on Asher to call an ambulance just as Amy collapses. So she calls an ambulance, but then answers all panicky when Steve phones... Jacob is putting Amy into the recovery position while Asha screams at him for giving Amy drugs, which he says he didn't do. Right. The ambulance arrived. Asha catches Steve up on the phone and then grasses Jacob up to the paramedics who don't care who did it. They just want to know what it was. Right. Jacob protests his innocence. Would he still be hanging around if this was his doing? Right. And this seems to make sense to Asha for the moment. And she calms down as she gets a taxi to the, the hospital. Right. Abby. Yeah, it was really lucky that Jacob was there because Asha didn't, was just a mess. Right. Then Addy comes out of the club, misses all this conversation and just sees Amy getting loaded into the ambulance. Steve and Tracy get to the hospital. Amy's unconscious in bed, hooked up to the machines and the tubes. 
and outside Steve finds Asha and Addy, who tell him about the nightclub visit. Jacob arrives and Steve jumps to the conclusion that he was the one what fed Amy the unspecific drugs. Asha and Addy jump on that bandwagon. Jacob thinks they should look at themselves because they were the ones who were with her all night and right. she was already out of her tits by the time she got to the club. Right. He reckons that she was spiked at the school and he refuses to leave until he finds out that she's going to be okay. Right. Later, Steve learns that Amy's drink was spiked with GHB yeah. and he tells Asha and Addy, asking where the fuck Jacob is. Addy doesn't think this is Jacob's doing. He was the one looking after her, but Steve is unconvinced. And through the back of the rovers, Daniel is boring Daisy with details of his day over a glass of wine. Daisy takes a picture of him having a 15-year-old nemesis and then insists that she gets her hold of him right now. Daniel thinks that he might be in here. Daisy confirms that he is. So off they go to do that. Right. She tells him to blow out the candles and he only blows out one. one. Yep. <laughs> what a prick. <laughs> At Amy's bedside, even Tracy isn't convinced that this is Jacob's fault. Steve is still angry and he only gets angrier when Jacob comes in. Meanwhile, drunken Shona and David get home from a garlic meal at the bistro where David tipped 10%. Max isn't in the mood to be gentle. What a king! <laughs> Max isn't in the mood to get gently ribbed about the situation with Daniel. He stomps upstairs while Shona suggests that she and David have full sex. And also a cuppa. <laughs> he just wants to make sure that Amy's okay, says Jacob. But Steve is having none of it and wants to throw him out and kill him. So Jacob is forced to admit that he's Amy's secret ancient boyfriend. And Steve makes several Muppet faces. Yes. At, at least he's not ancient. Right. Take this as a win, Steve. He's, he's age appropriate. <sighs> On Wednesday, next day at the hospital, Tracy is beginning to piece it all together about Jacob not really breaking into the house. I, I'm still not sure what was going on there then. He was there waiting for her to get back with the Indian food, remember? So why was the, key in the, the chain on the door? Because they didn't want her parents to come home they and see him there. They didn't think she was going. Their, her parents were going to come home because that's why they're there. They think that Steve and Tracy are. Well, maybe Jacob are is over, maybe Jacob is overcautious because he's been beat up so many times by other drug dealers. I'm not sure that it works. Anyway. Yes, that's the thing about the storyline that doesn't work. Oh no! Well that, done. That, that's the thing that doesn't work about Wednesday. <laughs> She worries that Steve is affected by Oliver, but he insists that he's just concerned about Amy, who still hasn't woken up. At the pub, Daniel comes down the stairs in the morning, whistling and wanting to borrow Daisy's toothbrush. <laughs> Get to fuck, says Daisy. Yes, she does. Correctly. <laughs> the degree that they're back on when Daniel is, gets... Is this not the right time to mention that I've used your toothbrush occasionally? You have? No, you haven't. Or have I? See, before I moved over, on my leaving night... I invited some people to stay back at my flat because they uh -huh. come from Glasgow and stuff. So they could miss the last train. Right. So my friend Gordon and his daughter stayed over uh -huh. at my flat. Gordon was on the sofa. She was in the spare room. Uh -huh. I was in my room. Uh -huh. So we get up in the morning and I kind of want them to leave because that's me, right? Right. The next day, I just want to leave and I expect everyone else to leave as soon as possible. Right. Yeah. So I can go on with my day. That is you. But they want to hang about and watch episodes of uh, Big Bang Theory. So they end up watching <laughs> like three or four episodes of Big Bang Theory and then they leave to get their train. So they finally go and I go and get my shower and I go to brush my teeth and my toothbrush is wet. And I'm like, which one of you shitbags has used my fucking toothbrush? <laughs> so it, I had to burn it. I had to burn it and go get a new one. Dirty, dirty bastards. 
I hope Gordon doesn't listen I to I hope this. he does, because this has been waiting 10 years to be said. You hope he hears you call his daughter a dirty bastard. It's either her or him. It was her. I think it was her as well. Anyway, yeah, if you knew Gordon, you'd think it was her as well. So anyway, so they agree that they're back on and Daniel gets a text telling him about Amy and he rushes off worried that this happened on his watch, which it absolutely did. Yes, it or did. he kicked him out for it to happen, which he absolutely did. Yes. Talking to the police, Steve is still convinced that Jacob is to blame for all this. The copper wants to wait until Amy wakes up to get her side of the story. Seems fair. Mm. Rushing off to wherever, <clears throat> Daniel bumps into David and explains about Amy being drugged with a GHB. This should spark some little synapses in David's brain. And it does. Daniel rushes off to school, but David promises to tell Sarah or Adam if he sees him. Later at the hospital, a nurse tells Steve and Tracy that whoever put Amy in the recovery position probably saved her life. And comes Asha, and Tracy assumes that she was the one. But Asha puts the record straight and tells him it was Jacob. Like Asha knows what the recovery position right. even is. This still does not butter any parsnips for Steve. Woozy, Amy finally wakes up, complaining of a sore throat. Tracy gets her some water and explains what happened. And then Steve butts in and demands to know how Jacob managed to spike a drink. Amy insists that Jacob had nothing to do with this because he's her boyfriend. This is not news to Steve, who says no. Jacob is putting on an act. He's still a drug dealer after all. Right. <laughs> The cops Does that mean that you're <coughs> still a drug dealer, right. Steve? The cops get statements from Asha and Addy who point out the CCTV at the club might be worth checking out. Thanks, says the cops, who are obviously being trained by Craig. <laughs> Jacob shows up at the hospital with grub for everyone. Steve isn't impressed, still not impressed with food and sandwiches and that. Yeah, seriously. Jacob insists that again that he had nothing to do with Amy's drugging and he points out that people can't stop them from being together. Well, we will see about that, says Steve, and he calls Jacob trash. David catches up with Daniel later, asking what he intends to do about the GHB thing. Ain't my circus, ain't my clowns, says Daniel. David scoffs at Daniel's pitiful attempts to stop this happening to someone else under his watch. If Daniel won't do anything about it, David will. Meanwhile, Amy and Tracy talk about Tracy's experiences with ecstasy. The cops come in to point out that according to the club's CCTV, Jacob def definitely didn't spike or drink. And just as it all starts kicking off outside the room on an investigation... Everyone sees Steve punch Jacob in the face. Right, which apparently the show thought was hilarious. Yeah. Because they memed it. With the cops there, Jacob <laughs> downplays it, while Steve wants Jacob locked up. Oddly the, cops aren't uh, oddly, the cops aren't interested in this obvious assault that they've just witnessed, and Jacob is allowed to leave. Well, Jacob says that he doesn't want to press charges. Amy is furious with Steve and tells him about the club CCTV. This has nothing to do with Jacob. Get it into your thick skull. Back at number one, Tracy tries to make excuses for Steve and his actions, but Amy isn't buying it, remain, rem reminding everyone that she's 18. Jacob had nothing to do with any of this. I'm getting sick of saying that. And she'll see whoever the fuck she likes. Right. As far as trouble is concerned, Steve is about as bad as it gets, after all. So Leanne and Simon are now getting flowers from Mary for Oliver's birthday. Leanne and Simon learn from Mary, who has heard from Dev, who has heard from the twins, that Amy and Jacob are an item. Mm -hmm. I love how Mary's keen to broadcast this fourth-hand information mm -hmm. well so leanne, she does like to gossip so leanne goes to see amy and to remind her of all the nasty things that jacob did a few months ago also simon's gotten a haircut uh, well one half of his head has <laughs> all the things that jacob did like wrecking simon's life and being a bit nasty to leanne that time and as she's doing this amy learned from one of jacob's mates that he's been arrested she accuses leanne of dobbing him in for supplying fake ids leanne says jacob terrorized her family and mocked her He's the definition of a bad person. Amy says Leanne doesn't know him like she does. Likewise, says Leanne. Right, and Amy brightly points out 
Well, you and Simon sold drugs, too. Yeah, that was different, supposedly. You know, not thinking that maybe Jacob was put in a situation very similar to the situation they were put in. Right. <sighs> Amy goes to Neil's <clears throat> to talk to Sam, who's talking to people now. Not that, Occasionally. Anyone, not that anyone has mentioned it. Sam has been speaking to Simon, who tells her his thoughts on Jacob. He locked someone in the boot and was friends with the person who killed Natasha. Then Simon comes in. Were half- they friends, though? Because he had... Harvey had Jacob put in the hospital. They weren't buddies, no. They were not pals. Then Simon comes in with his half a haircut, and he gleefully admits that he was the one who grasped up Jacob for the fake IDs that he knew nothing about. Simon, who is suddenly brave, tells her that he'll do everything he can to keep Jacob away from the street. Jacob goes to see Amy at home, chatting with her at the back door as she tells him that after speaking with everyone with an opinion, it's probably best they split up. Jacob is sad, but goes along with Amy's wishes. Steve pops his head around the corner for a quick bit of mocking. Yeah, both he and Amy are very mature yeah. about all of this. They're the only you know? mature people that are... It's, it's like, she's, she's like, look, it's, it's not that I care about these people's opinions, but this will never work because these people are my family. Right. And they're never going to accept you. Right. And I'm, and, I'm a little disappointed that she didn't think of that before, but and, it's all true. And Jacob's like, you know what? That is a fair point. And I care about you so much that I don't want you to be put in this position where you're right. between us. So he, he's, he's devastated. You can see in his face that he's devastated and yeah. he's thinking that nobody is ever going to accept that he's changed and that his life is worthless. I'm really kind of concerned about the kid, mm-hmm. you know, and then Steve pops up to mock him about the fact that there's a camera. So he saw that he was back here. Right. No, no. Go fuck off, Steve. Mm-hmm. Go fuck all the way off. <laughs> well, 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 well. well. So David gets home and tells Max that he's not going to school anymore because of Amy's drink getting spiked. Max doesn't think he can afford to miss school and video club. And Shona agrees, but David isn't prepared to put Max at risk until the culprit is caught. Right. It's David like, is very uh, keen to get this culprit caught. Right. Let's all remember that. He'll do nothing. He, he'll, he'll sort this out. Right. He'll investigate it himself. Murder? I'll investigate this murder. Inside number one, Amy's upset and Steve thinks that he can fix it with jelly and ice cream and a plenty more fish in the sea speech. You are a fucking idiot, says Amy. And she's not wrong. Good job in validating my feelings and relationship, ass. And she's right. Yes. And that brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. There we go. Amy snuffed out the flame of romance with Jacob after advice from Steve, Leanne, Simon and Sam. But which bit of Jacob's past do you think swung it for her? For your information, indirectly is about to do a huge amount of heavy lifting in the second option. Mm. Locked in a ca- locked a kid in a car boot, indirectly killed Natasha, mocked Leanne, or stole Simon's bike. I just mocked Leanne because that was really the most unforgivable thing, mocking Leanne about Oliver's death. I was trying to think about exactly how he mocked her, and I think what he did was question whether Simon was really Leanne's kid because of the adoption. And didn't your kid die? Right. I think that's the long and short of what he said. Yeah. But he was mocking her an awful lot when he was staying with them, remember? You know, and giving her a hard time. Yeah. He was kind of nasty in the strangers. He, uh, right. He was funny games kind of thing. Right. He was nasty in a way that he didn't necessarily have to be. Right. So the results were thus. Locked kid in the car boot was 17.3%. 
Stole Simon's Bike, 19.8%. Well, that was my favourite. Indirectly killed Natasha, 296 And mocked Leanne, 33.3%. That was the one that did it. And I think I can see that, actually. There's a, there's a fairly light-hearted poll. Right. But the, the bit that really stuck for me watching it this week was Leanne's testimony as to why this probably isn't going to work. Right. Because he's done this. And there really isn't any going back from that right. for this family. Right. Other people may well forgive it, but yes. this family probably is never going to forgive that. Right, yeah. And reminding Amy that Oliver was her brother too. Right. Right. Because they're both yeah, these yeah, kids. Yeah, it just takes my sound. <laughs> I know it's very confusing because this street is not really on Mancha- in Manchester. It's in Alabama, but... Right, nobody has the same mother and father as their siblings. <laughs> Very few of them do. And everybody's related in some way or another, at least tangentially. On Friday, Daniel goes to see Steve and learns that Amy will be skipping school, still concerned that someone's out to get her. Right. Steve hopes that Mackie's video will turn up something and Daniel agrees to have a word. So on his way to school, Daniel bumps into Max and mentions about the video from the school dance, telling Max to hand it to the police once he's downloaded it. Max is shifty as fuck, which Daniel doesn't notice. Right, yeah. Maybe, Daniel, maybe you need to stay out of this and let the police do their job. Right. You know, because at least in this storyline, the police are very soft and very gentle mm-hmm. and are are being very effective and are not jumping to conclusions. You know that meme with Gordon Ramsay in it, where it shows Gordon Ramsay, or something is Gordon Ramsay for one thing and then... Gordon Ramsay for another, like uh, the young, the young, the young master, master chef junior. If you have any idea of what <laughs> Helen's talking about, give you know, us a call on 517. <laughs> Where Gordon Ramsay is like hugging the children and, and saying, oh, it's okay, Pat. It's, it'll be all right. Oh, it's okay. And then Gordon Ramsay on Hell's Kitchen. Is Gordon Ramsay going to do any of this? Telling people to eat a fucking fuck sandwich because they're so fucking awful and they're they're an idiot sandwich and all that other stuff that he does on, on Hell's Kitchen. This is the police in Manchester. Anyway, with David... <laughs> where David bumps. Imran and Adam uh, uh, are the Hell's Kitchen <laughs> and Amy and Jacob David, and Max are Master Chef Junior. David bumps into Steve and, whew, and Nina rolls. When have those two last spoke, I thought to myself. Steve seems to be having a birthday party for Oliver. He's not. He's just getting ready to go to the, the grave. Right. David offers his ear with regards to Amy as he knows what it's like. And he gives Steve the Cliff's Notes version of his experience. Right. Once again, I'm still a little shocked that not everyone on the street knows that David was raped mm-hmm. by Josh. Mm-hmm. Yet oh, another don't, 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 go, don't go through them all again. Josh, we, who's don't, we get it. the actor of which... It is now on Waterloo Road with Natasha and Michelle. <laughs> and also is a member of the J-Club. Steve's walking with Leanne, Simon and Nick to visit Oliver's grave and Simon and Leanne take this opportunity to get torn into Amy for hanging around drug dealers. What, like you pair? Says Steve. Simon gets all mouthy, insisting that that was only because Jacob and Harvey were threatening them. Not to start with it wasn't. No. Not to start with. No. Nobody was threatening anybody no, to start to with. to start with it was to help your mum with bills. Right. Because she was too depressed to work. Right. So see this, shut the fuck up, Simon. Shut, shut the, the fuck, fuck up. up. <laughs> yeah. Good job, Harry Haircut. 
Anyway, at home, Max seems to have transferred footage to his laptop, so when the police come in with David looking for his camera, he doesn't shit himself when they spot it on the sofa. David's a bit of a boomer with the camera and can't suss it out, so the cops take it down to the station to let their <clears throat> tech boys have a look. Right. While Max palms the SD card into his pocket. Right, yeah. David, They're not going to find anything because he switched the SD card out. Right. David and Max, thanks, Daniel. David and Max find Amy crying in the community garden. David tells her the same thing that he told Steve, but Amy's inconsolable, trying to figure out why someone would do this to her. Right. And, and this, this is something that I was actually really pleased that they were tackling. The, the, the effect that this has on Amy is doesn't end with getting out of the hospital. Right. You know, that this has a, an, a reoccurring effect on her life where she, as far as she knows, somebody wanted to drug her and rape her. Right, yeah. And that, that someone is still in her school, right. walking around in her school, and she's never going to get closure until that person is caught. Right, and I was really glad that it took time and to spell was, that out. And there's all this fear and terror which David can relate to. Right. And this scene makes what happens later so much worse. Right. So Max it can fuck all the way off. <laughs> I'm so fucking angry. I believe you said that. Fucking angry. So with Max hanging around like a bad smell, David talks at length about his experiences on GHB. Amy is worried about what the plan was for her. What were they going to do to her? She is absolutely terrified about the fallout from this. And David assures her that they'll catch the scumbag what did this while Max shifts about uncomfortably in the background. He just wants them to stop talking to each other. So Max is fucking about in his laptop when David comes down the stairs and sees the footage on the screen. Can you see who had the GHB, says David. Yes, says Max, just as his big mug comes up with the pills helpfully labelled GHB and pointing at the camera. With with little devil horns and a devil tail. I may as well have had rape juice written underneath it. Right. I'm so sorry, says Max. Probably did. Tell me you're joking, says David. So Max starts his tight five-minute routine about 9-11 until a furious David interrupts. Max explains that it wasn't for Emil for summer. He was trying to drug Daniel. And he did it because Daniel deserved it. He was a cocky shite, full of it, pretending that he knew what they'd gone through. He wanted Daniel to know what it was like. And he did it for David. And David's like, don't you be putting this on don't me. Don't you fucking be putting this on me. He knows Max has lied and switched the memory cards. So he's not so much of a boomer after all. He looks like he's about it's to deck Max at all. until Shona comes in. If he's a boomer, you're a boomer. So he's a boomer because he doesn't know how to work the camera. Keep up. So David grabs his jacket and announces he's off to the police station. Shona must be putting in personal best what? after personal best because what? she catches up with David before what? he goes into the police station with Max's laptop. I, I'm very concerned about Max's obsession with Daniel. Right. Because this is, this is going above and beyond after repeatedly being told to leave Daniel alone. You know, he's still got this idea, oh, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. He's obsessed with Daniel. Yeah. This is this is this is in obsession zone now. This is not just, oh, I hate this teacher. And that's I think is what makes the whole I mean, where we go it is is kind of bad. But it is worse because of that obsession. If Max was picking on this person and then picking on that person and right, picking yeah. on some other person. That's bad and bad enough. But the fact that it is constantly Daniel. Right. It's like, well, where do we go with this? Right. And this is a question that I asked a few weeks ago. Right. How, how far along the line do you go? With, does does Max kill Daniel? Because right. that's, that's where we're heading. Yes. Because everything's getting worse and worse and worse. Right. So David's about Fucking to go into the police station. I hate it so much. And Shona, learning nothing from the whole Clayton debacle, begs David not to grass his son up. He's no. Young. In fact, she uses Clayton. Mm-hmm. For her argument, right. when that doesn't make any sense, because the reason why Clayton was 
Clayton is because she kept turning a blind eye mm-hmm. to what a shitty kid he was. He's young and scared. Tough titty, says David, and he goes into the cop shop. But Shona gives chase again, pointing out that Max will go to prison for this. Good, says David. He's out of control. And Shona thinks there are reasons that they should deal with this in-house. How? Like Clayton. How? I'm like, really? This well, is what's yeah, going to swing no, it? She's like, you know, Clayton was the way he was because he went to Young Offenders. No! No, Shona. May- you really haven't recovered from that shot in your stomach that messed with your head. That stomach injury is just what's talking here. Right. Yeah. It's so... And not at any point, which is especially egregious considering the conversation that David had with Amy, at no point while she's making this argument about how terrified fucking Max is, does David say, you think Max is scared? How the fuck do you think Amy feels right now? And how the fuck do you think Amy's going to feel when there is no closure from this because you want to bury it? Right. At no point does that cross his mind. At no point does that cross Shona's mind. Shona, who has been abused and messed with and everything in her life as well. This show does not give a fuck about women. And this just... (sighs) I'm so fucking angry that it's Shona, of all people, who's talking David out of this. And I'm so fucking angry that David is agreeing to that. How the fuck are they going to punish this kid? They're not. There's nothing they can do. No. There's nothing he can do. Nope. What the hell, Coronation Street? Get your fucking act in order because this is shit. Please continue. Thank you. Back in the street, David has been convinced by Shona. David, though, is worried that Max is Callum's son and he's just getting worse. All Shona knows is it's up to them to get him through it. Fuck you, Shona. David, now you said, let me continue. Well, I am. I just shouted, fuck you, Shona. Oh, I thought you were shouting at me. No, it's, your name's Shona. All I'm hearing is, is very, very aggressive language from I'm right now, so Helen. I'm so fucking angry. David doesn't know how he gets beyond this. So back at home, David shouts on Max. They didn't go to the police, but they've been speaking to Nick. And it seems that the scene at the graveyard was a farce with everyone piling on Steve and Amy because of Jacob, when Jacob had nothing to do with it and it was all his doing right and amy is already traumatized david tells max he needs to change and max symbolically breaks the sd card you'd better pray that there's no other evidence he tells max he's on his last warning this vendetta with daniel ends now which is exactly what he fucking said when max broke into his fucking apartment and got thrown down the stairs privately with shona david worries that 20 odd years ago maybe josh's dad turned a blind eye like this and like he has done now and he worries that this is the wrong move and that's how we end this week's episode yeah maybe you should have fucking thought of that back at the police station you asshole right fuck you i'm i'm so fucking angry with this storyline you know this is this is like uh you know when brock turner was caught red-handed raping a woman mm-hmm. and the judge gave him a lighter sentence because oh we don't want this to ruin the life of this boy right this is exactly that. This is, oh, we must protect Max at all costs and we can't have him go to prison for things that he should rightfully go to prison for. Right. You know, we are more concerned about Max than we are concerned about his victim, Amy, who will never get closure, who still doesn't know who did this to her. Mm-hmm. If she found out that it was Max, she'd be angry, but she would also be relieved because she knows Max doesn't want to rape her. But now she's 
going to eventually have to go back to school, Mm -hmm. constantly looking over her shoulder, worried that somebody is going to come up, drug her again, and rape her. Her whole life is ruined by this. And all fucking Shona can think of is Max. This makes me so angry that they've done this. That they've done this on the show. And even, even if eventually... Max is found out because I f- there's a part of me that feels like that's going to happen. There's a part of me that feels like that's never going to happen because let's remember Gary is still not in prison for killing Rick the chin four years ago. And hope is still walking around, even though she almost burned her future mother and stepmother to death. Yeah. Well, let's hope. But you can't think of it that way because that's ex- that's exactly what happens. That's exactly how it starts. If, oh, well, they're just a kid. So we don't want to ruin their whole lives by having them be defined by this one horrible thing. This one horrible thing that has destroyed another person. These are not victimless crimes that these children are doing. You know, this is going to affect Alina, who is already, let's remember, very fragile for the rest of her life. This is going to affect Amy for the rest of her life. This is probably going to affect Daniel for the rest of his life. You know, Max's obsession with him and wanting to do damage to him. It's it's just the whole, oh, well, this is the last time. This is the last straw. They keep redrawing that line because this is exactly what they said to him the last time. Max has learned nothing. Max will continue to be a shit and do shitty, horrible things to people. It's not going to end with Daniel. Because once he sees that he's gotten to do it with Daniel, he'll move on. He'll find grudges with other people that are mostly imagined and in his own head. Mm -hmm. Because let's remember, his whole grudge with Daniel is that Daniel wants him to do his homework. And then the girl he likes is obsessed with Daniel. And then Daniel let slip something that he had assumed that he already knew about his own dad. Which, honestly, it still surprises me that David hadn't sat Max down at this point. Because Ma- David did get closure. I don't David think that's really exactly... got anything to do with it, to be honest with you. I don't, no. th- I don't think that's just an excuse at this yeah. point. The, old, the, the thing about Max think- is that he's already got it in his head that Daniel's to, to out get for him. Revenge for Daniel, and he is, and it doesn't matter why. Right. So the the, the rape thing is just a, a a bonus. It's just something. To, Do you think he's in love with Daniel? I, I kind of hope Do that they don't go that way because that's a kind of American Beauty horrible. Yeah. Ending, Do you think he's? he's I think the, they should avoid. He's the Lydia of this story. That Max be crazy, but he is. I, I guess it's I guess just it's people, such a bad way. But bad, to go. bad people do bad things on the show, and bad people do bad things all the time. Otherwise, there, there really isn't much of a show. And it is done to get reactions, and it is done to get people talking, and it probably is done to get people outraged. Yeah, I'm, Pe- people being outraged, which I think everyone is clear that you are outraged. I think that is you know, that is a purpose of of this storyline is, is to get that happening. I am so very outraged that I told you this morning that I, there's a part of me that just does not want to watch this show anymore because it's such an egregious misstep, you know, and is not taking the the power of media, the power of this show over the influence of people's lives I, I, into I've, consideration. I don't know if the... 
I don't know if, if the storyline in and of itself is what is uh, damaging to your opinion of it. I think where the, the damage comes is from having characters who probably wouldn't react in the way that they've done reacting in the way that they've done to generate more drama, i.e. having David being the parent who is willingly turning a blind eye after his whole history and after everything that has been said by him this week that kind of runs against what he is choosing to do. I would be angry anyway, but the fact that it's David who is turning a blind eye to his son drugging someone with GHB, which rightly could have killed her and rightly could have killed Daniel if Mm -hmm. Daniel had actually taken it. Right. You know, this is not, this is not, ha ha, you know, I added vodka to the fruit punch in the school no to accidentally get daniel drunk and that would get him fired because he's drunk on school premises no we're choosing a a ignored sociopathic behavior here right because shona says so right and where did he order this ghp from is he on the black market or something probably the dark web somewhere probably and it just came in the regular mail yep first class i'm surprised it didn't have rape juice written on it on the envelope and you know the the fact that it's that it's David who's turning this blind eye, and the fact that David was so outraged that apparently the school was doing nothing, and also David, who did this, who had this beautiful conversation with Amy afterwards, telling her it's going to be alright, and being yeah. honest to a point about his own situation because he doesn't tell her that he he was raped, and I'm glad he didn't do that because I think that would just a- exacerbate her fears. Right, I think it's kind of implied though. Yeah, but he doesn't spell it out because he doesn't want her to think, oh my God, somebody was going to rape me. Yeah, I think she's already him, thinking. But, but I think she knows that nobody gave him GHB to steal his wallet. Right, yeah. Yeah. But he, he rightly doesn't spell it out, which is, and give the gross details. Um, I, it's, 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 it's all of these things together that just really, really angers me because it's, it's... <sighs> Societally, it's just such a sore point, this whole protecting boys over girls and, you know, protecting somebody for sexual assault, even though Max was never going to sexually assault Daniel or Amy. Well, so he says. Right. The whole GHB thing. Right. Because he does. His whole argument is I wanted him to know how it felt to be you because here he's acting like because his whole problem here seems to be and his mind is so fucking twisted you would think david would recognize the fact that this kid's brain is so twisted his complaint now is that daniel came and apologized in a way that was empathetic to 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 david in a way that implied or the way max sees it it implied that Daniel was saying that he knows how David feels. Right. And how dare he do that to you? And I'm going to make him know how it feels yeah, to you. Yeah, same excuse, I think. Yeah. But, I mean, there, the implication is kind of there that he was going to drug Daniel and then rape him. That idea does kind of float out because, because David was like, how exactly do you mean feel exactly like me? And Max insists, oh, I just wanted to drug him. Right. And in a way, I kind of believe that because... Max didn't know initially what happened to Amy 
and he doesn't go out of his way to find out. Yeah, I don't know how much I'd, I'd, I'd go along with that because I think if he is successful in his mission to drunk Daniel to drug Daniel and Daniel is now drugged and in front of him, what does he do? Does he just walk away? Yeah. Because, the fact because that he it's didn't very go easy out. to put two and two together to see, yeah. okay, well, I'm, I'm recreating history here. What happens next? Right. But he doesn't go out and, and find Daniel afterwards or follow him and well, make sure that it worked. Well, he sees Amy drinking the drink. They, they pointedly, you see Max watching Amy drink it. And does nothing. And, uh, and you know, and doesn't go over so and say, So he knows oh, he's hey. failed at that point. And here was Arthur hoping that the one bone of contention that I was going to have for this week was, why is Max filming himself putting the bottle down on the, on the right. counter? For, for what use? Like he doesn't know that the camera was on at the time. That's kind of the way that his shocked face, what his shocked face told me was that he didn't realize. And it's like, this kid's an AV club, really? Right. What the hell, man? No, this this. This needs throw, to be resolved quickly. Throw this whole story out. and And here's the thing. My fears is that it's not going to be handled quickly. Yeah, and I'm saying that I think that it needs to be. It does need to in be. In this case, for a, a, a slow, long-burning storyline, I, I don't think that's what this needs to become. Right. Because I, I think it is, and I know that it's fiction, and I think it's maybe easier for me as a man to separate what I'm seeing here as as a storyline designed to, to get a, a reaction. And, and then call that successful because it, it, it gets a reaction. I think the message that it sends by by not addressing it is really, really dangerous. That if yeah. a, a kid can, a 15-year-old kid can, can do this and get away with it. Right. And After getting away with so much already. Right. Yeah. And it's exactly that. You know, as... As a woman who has been told every once in a while, are you sure that's what happened? Because that's that will really hurt him. Right. Yeah. It's it's and let's remember the majority of the people watching this show are people who have probably been sexually assaulted. They're either women or gay men. Right. So I it's just so irresponsible and it makes me just so angry. And I just wanted to throw my iPad across across the room and never watch the show again. Well, that's how we end this week's Coronation Street. What was your moment of the week? Imran and Toya getting engaged. <laughs> Do you know, I had three clips of the week. One of which was Imran and Toya getting engaged. I can't. Oh, the other one was Amy and Tracy's little heart to heart about her dalliances with drugs, and then Steve punching Jacob. And I can't remember for the life of me what the first one was. Was it Steve and, and Peter in their socks? No, it wasn't. Was it Spag Rice? <laughs> oh, it was. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, because that, that would have been my second pick. Because it was just really nice to see at least one couple on the street acting like normal human beings. <laughs> right. Having a regular... Because that's a conversation you and I would have had. Yes. And probably have. <laughs> probably might have later on. Yes. Yeah, I think the it really was just the only... But uh, it was the only ray of sunshine. But a light in in and what was a fairly depressing week. Yeah, again, you know, I, a, an argument could be made for Carla and Peter, and their and their wee banter, and then Steve and Peter and their socks. Mm-hmm. Bot four thousand says, "Who eats chili con carne without rice?" No, no, no. no it's definitely uh, Toy and Imran. Yes, they're and ignoring the last few. Let's just not talk about that. Just, didn't just don't talk, it didn't, didn't happen. happen. Didn't happen. That's it. Moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Daniel not blowing out all the candles. 
You had one job, Daniel. You had one job. Now the rivers will burn down because. You, well, that's what I was thinking. Just, these little you, tea lights that are being left. You, you just blew out the pear scented one. You didn't blow out the little white votives. Yeah, and. And the rivers and will the burn fire, down now. That's where the fire's coming from. Yeah. That's it. For a moment of the week. Well, I think we better wrap this one up then. What do you say? Please. If you want to. If you want to. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can check me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back next week with more... The Talk of the Street. The Talk of the Street. Cheerio. Bye.